Hey everyone, welcome to episode 50 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me as always are Andrew Brown and Ginny Wu. Uh, it's been a bit of a inconsistent couple of weeks for us with the with the show, missing for a few weeks. I've I've obviously been out for medical reasons. How have you guys been since I've been off? Um, we did okay last week, I think. Um, so kept it afloat uh, in the captain's absence. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, just have not had a chance to listen to that episode yet. Oh, good. You weren't missing that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my queue. I'll get to it. Okay, so uh, let's get straight into it. We'll uh, talk about updates from the previous episode, or in my case, the last time I was on. Uh, so I got to play a bunch of games while I was off. So I finished Ease 8, finally, after promising to do that for many, many weeks. Uh, just a couple of closing thoughts on that one. I started to lose my patience with it the more out there the story got the longer it went on uh basically it starts off fairly grounded for a jrpg which is like a you know survival story on an island and it starts to get a bit tropey towards the end and i just stopped caring as much about what was happening uh and yeah, just something I wanted to talk about was with the with JRPGs in particular, where they have a bad ending if you don't spend a amount of time doing like menial chores. So in in this game, there's a system where you can boost the main character's reputation by doing like side quests for the the other characters, and they're just not that interesting. And I had no interest in doing it, and I got sort of a, a bad ending for for not bothering with it. And I, I really hate this mentality with, with long games because it's like, I've just given you 40 hours of my life. Like, just give me something with closure. Like, I've seen credits. I want a proper ending. I don't mind so much when it's like a shorter game where like multiple playthroughs is, is kind of the point, but not for something like this. Also managed to finish Final Fantasy fifteen Pocket Edition. Uh, not really much to add from the last time I spoke about it. I I adored the whole experience uh, and it's probably going to remain the way I replay this game in most cases and uh, yeah Prompto is still my boy even in GB form yeah Uh, and that's pretty much it for me to catch up on apart from the stuff that I've been playing that I can do a little bit more in depth on Uh, not much in the way of Switch news either so we're just going to jump straight into what we've played Okay, so Andrew, I believe you've been uh, back on your. Um, how do I say it without swearing? <laughs> your. Uh, I don't. I don't even know how to say that without swearing. You've been playing Darkest Dungeon. Bolster. Uh, the Color of Madness expansion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is like a DLC expansion. It's the second DLC for Darkest Dungeon. Probably going to be the last official one. Of course, there are all kinds of mods and add-ons for the PC version, but I think this is going to be the last we're going to see from the developer as far as official support. It adds a new dungeon to the game. It adds the farmstead. And it's not like uh, the Crimson Court, which many players criticized, I think, very fairly for how much it intruded on the main game, where basically if you activated it, then you had to deal with it, and if you didn't deal with it, then 
it could really drag your game experience down. This one is much more contained. Almost everything that happens in it only happens on the farmstead, which you explore a couple times, and then you unlock the endless mode, which is the main thing that the Color of Madness ends, where you try to get through as many battles in this endless mode as you can, and as the further in you get, the closer you get to this add-on's final boss, and you also get the special rewards, which you can use in town at a new vendor to buy new trinkets for all of your classes to make them even stronger. And it also adds another wandering boss that can appear in any dungeon in the game called the Thing from the Stars, which I haven't encountered yet, but I, I hear it's pretty challenging. But it also warns you on the map if the Thing is going to be in the dungeon before you start it, so that way you can avoid it if you want to. But uh, if you do go in specifically to hunt it, you're going to find it. And it also adds just miscellaneous class balances. Uh, the the flagellant, which was added in the Crimson Court add-on, and was quite overpowered. He could really he could carry the entire game for you if you built him right. He's been nerfed quite a bit. Uh, he's still quite powerful. He's very self-sufficient, but he can no longer basically solo entire dungeons anymore. And also, uh, there was a thing where the class, the Abomination class, couldn't team up with certain other classes that were part of the in-game church, like the 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 Vestal and the Leper and the Flagellant. They wouldn't party with the Abomination at all, but they've removed that now, so it's opened up a lot more variety in the character parties you can use. So it's a, a worthy addition to Darkest Dungeon. I, I'm a fan of it, and it's pretty cheap. It's only $5, so... Uh, if you're still playing Darkest Dungeon, you should definitely pick this up. Okay, I have a question for you, because I, I bought Darkest Dungeon, but I haven't started it yet. You fool! Um, would you say, if I was going to start a new game, I would do it without the Crimson Court DLC, but have this one on? Would that be a good option? Except for dealing with the thing from the stars, uh, you might not even notice that you've activated it unless you specifically enter the Farmstead Dungeon. So you could go either way. Uh, if you wanted to just start your game and then activate the farmstead after you've actually finished the core game, you could totally go that way, or you could just activate it from the start and just dip in when you feel like it. Uh, you wouldn't notice the difference either way. It only affects you as much as you want it to, which is, I'm sure, a direct response to how much the Crimson Court was criticized for how much it forced you to interact with it. Okay, cool. Uh, so something I I was playing while I was off, uh, Subsurface Circular. Yay! Uh, finally got to play this very, very short, interesting little narrative game. Uh, I really enjoyed the, the way the conversations played out and how they used the dialogue as a puzzle, as sort of a, an interesting concept. And I don't think it's really been done before in that way or not not in what I've played previously. Uh, sort of a... How do you talk about it without spoiling what the story is? Uh, trying to figure out what's what's sort of happening in the world as this robotic detective uh, and trying to, trying to trick the other robots in some, some respects to sort of give up information that they, they might not want to give up. Uh, and then it leaves you with like this like massive choice right at the end which was uh pretty interesting but it sort of ends in a way where you don't 
see the repercussions of that. You just have to live with the consequences mentally of what you've chosen. It's interesting. Uh, they've done a follow-up sort of thing, haven't they? Like a indirect sequel that's not made it onto the Switch yet. It's on the iOS, I think. Yeah, definitely glad I played it. Just weird little experimental game. And uh, yeah, definitely worth a look. Yeah, something else I've been playing is uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4. Uh, so I talked about it when the demo came out uh, and I've you know finally had a chance to sort of sink some time into the single player mode. I don't have the benefit of listening to the last episode, so I'm not sure exactly what, what subjects you covered. Uh, so a couple of things I was going to talk about is like, if if people out there enjoyed the first one, I think they'll enjoy this one. It seems pretty close or very, very, very similar, like in pretty much everything it does, which is probably why everyone's calling it a return to form for the series, not just because of that weird offshoot that the last game was. Uh, still really enjoying it. Uh, there's a real thrill about getting your tactics right and just getting everyone through unscathed and like pulling off a, a successful flank is is really satisfying. It's not quite as tactical as, say, some of the grid-based games like Fire Emblem can be a little bit more forgiving. Uh, but the thing I love about strategy RPGs is when they just sort of throw surprise elements in you at you that sort of force you to think about your approach and change your approach on the fly. Uh, I'm still only probably just into chapter five, so it's it's not doing that too often at this point. Uh, but yeah, still really enjoying the game. There was uh, something I was going to touch on, which I me and Andrew had chatted about on, on Twitter with someone else, which was the uh, misogyny in the game. So uh, did you guys talk about this last week at all? Yeah, briefly. Um, we had sort of chalked it down to some of the tropes that show up in a lot of anime. Um, the way we sort of described it was that there are a lot of anime cliches and anime tropes in this game and the way that it deals with misogyny and with interactions with women and men kind of smells a lot more like that than something as overtly malicious like hookup simulator yeah okay so yeah i had a couple of thoughts on this so i'm i'm one of those that because there's been a few pieces about this this particular subject in this game so i i'm one of those people that um thinks that if a character in a drama or a game or a book or whatever is you know sexist or racist or whatever that doesn't make the whole game sexist or racist do you know what i mean and you know it's just it just means they've written that character to be a sexist now i'm still early in uh obviously it's chapter five still um and so far there's only been say one character that is a bit gross and from what me and Andrew were talking about previously were that uh, was that he uh, like he gets shot down for being gross all the time. In, and in one case, he actually gets punched in the face <laughs> by by the woman he's objectifying. So I'm not too upset about any of that stuff so far. I think they're they're sort of treating his character with the sort of contempt he deserves. He's sort of portrayed as like a you know broy type of you know macho idiot and he, he he keeps getting shot down for that so far uh Ginny, you you've beat it can you cast any light on whether that 
that changes at all or is this is there stuff that's more I didn't find anything more egregious than that um I, I had a little bit more trouble actually and this is obviously like a very niche lens that I'm looking at it through um I was a little bit more concerned about the about the treatment of the flamboyant homosexual trope in Valkyria Chronicles um which you know, is obviously not a great one. And I can see that they've tried to kind of, they flipped it a little bit on its head here with making him very masculine, but it was still kind of uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, the thing with the character that you're talking about, uh, no one's ever like, oh, that's totally fine. That's all right. Like, I think that some people were getting a little bit worked up about, about that one character, which makes sense. It's not nice to see women objectified. Um, but I think that in a game whereby you're giving characters traits like, you know, man-hater or, like, independent woman at home or, like, terrified of women, like, you're not exactly looking at a game that will treat any sort of issue with a whole lot of nuance. So I, I think to I think having re- having that character in is not, an, a, not a deal-breaker for me, um, and I'm certainly in your camp, Andy, and throughout the game, no one ever says something like, oh... What he's doing is completely fine. You should just let it go. So I, I'm sort of the same mind as you, whereby it it is not an issue for me that it's there. It would be an issue if, let's say, the whole gang joined in and objectified that one particular person or they said, oh, you know, this is just the way that it is in the world. You just have to deal with it. And if she was like a damsel in distress type character, then that would be even more problematic for me personally. But I think that just from what we play and I mean just from the things that the the game sort of makes these characters do to help that one objectified character not because she's been objectified but just sort of how important she is to the focus of the game itself later on as well I think that they give her more than enough screen time and more than enough focus and development to really kind of make up for that other character yeah I'm I'm in full agreement I've I've just just not hit anything that's made me cringe like in the same way that uh say ease 8 did at places or uh xenoblade chronicles 2 for for all that does yeah Uh, um i will say one more thing just about the objectification side just in terms of the visuals that you get sometimes um i know that when you are sniping someone and you get like a like a one of those really good sort of headshot kills and the camera kind of pans down to then reloading their weapon there's a little bit of movement when they reload the weapon um (laughs) so i i that was also kind of brought up for a lot of people as one of the big issues um i don't think it's a it's a huge issue i mean the it's not like they animated that moment that that movement specifically just for that when they're running around sometimes and they're setting things up there is some movement there that inherently is not a problem for me and to be fair the Switch's graphics are not good enough that you're really deriving any sort of entertainment or significance from that moment. But it is there. I do want to acknowledge that it is a thing that is there that the game has in, but it's not like we're talking soft engine physics. This is not like, you know, two parts moving independently of one another, like Senran Kagura. This is not like that, if that makes sense. So I know that it's there, want to acknowledge it, but it's not... Something that I think was thrust in my face, excuse the pun, but yeah. <laughs> or, or even accidental Fortnite physics. Yeah, exactly. Nowhere, yeah, nowhere near that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrew, are you still playing it? You you digging it? I obviously haven't heard your thoughts yet. I I might be taking a break from it. I'm 
invested in too many huge games right now and i need to finish some of them uh but i did get to that one scene you referenced earlier where raz the gross misogynist basically gets punched in the <laughs> face and he, he totally has it coming but you know at the same time uh claude the unit leader doesn't really do anything to stop him he's just he's just tinkering away under a tank while all this is going on he's like oh raz said that yeah that that sounds about right and he doesn't really get invested in it until he finds out that him and kai are basically in a fist fight which kai wins which is pretty cool uh but (laughs) uh yeah he he's not portrayed positively for having these traits but at the same time it's also not portrayed positively that anybody is stopping him they're just it's just kind of treated as this reality that they all exist in, which is not the best thing. But, you know, it, it <laughs> I could say it could be much worse, which is not a good thing to say about anything. But it is much worse in many contemporary games that are coming out alongside Valkyria Chronicles 4. So I guess we have to be grateful for small steps. Yeah, I guess I should also highlight that I'm, I'm my viewpoint is from, you know, privileged white man who doesn't always recognize these sorts of details or situations so um yeah so that's what we'll we'll talk some more when you get back to it andrew and i'm gonna be playing some more over over the week as we as we go uh so let's talk about mark of the ninja which andrew's played uh and i you've played it pretty extensively and nearly completely finished it i guess from what i've been saying it's not a terribly long game but it's a it's a really good one this was a really early console indie success it was an xbox live arcade exclusive for quite some time and it was like one of their early games that was really making waves like alongside fez and i guess braid uh and it's a really interesting uh game where you play as a ninja and you go around these environments it's all side-scrolling. It's basically Arkham Asylum and all the Predator sequences in that rendered as a side-scrolling platformer, and I had a lot of fun with it. The controls do require you to use the joystick and not the D-pad, so I give it zero stars. Uh, <laughs> now, th- there are actual command reasons that they have it set up that way, but still, I it doesn't feel right to me when there are things that are set up that way. I, I want to play side scrollers with the D pad. I always do. And it's very slowly paced game, which is took me a while to get used to, uh, cause you can run, but it makes so much noise that it's not a very good idea. Cause you will be immediately attracting the attention of all the guards surrounding you. Uh, so you want to move at the walking pace most of the time, which is this very slow slink, but once you finish the first couple levels, or at least once I finished the first couple levels, I didn't really notice it anymore. I just got used to it, and it really helps you to appraise your surroundings and see what's happening ahead of you, so that way you don't run right into trouble. Although there is a alternate class you can unlock that does let you run around everywhere you want as much as you want without attracting attention, so you just got to get that far to unlock that part of it. And it is a stealth game. Uh, but it, it's pretty open about how it lets you do that. Uh, not in a way unlike Metal Gear Solid, but actually it's even more broad than Metal Gear Solid is. Because Metal Gear Solid, like you can get different ranks at the end of the game, depending upon how often you were seen, how many people you killed, and there are like entire communities built around 
pacifist runs through Metal Gear Solid. And you can do the same thing here. There's a, an assassination path you can take or a subterfuge path where you either kill everybody in the level, which is a lot of fun because it gives you a lot of ways in which you can do that. Or you can do the subterfuge path where you get through it without killing anybody. And that's obviously much more challenging. But there's a point system in place that rewards you more or less evenly for both, although the assassination points are much easier to earn. So if you're going for the, the high scores on every level, which is one of the things you need to do to unlock all of the skills, then the assassination path is the better way to go. But uh, all I have left to do now is finish the new game plus. I've got found all these hidden scrolls in every level. I've done all the challenge missions, and I've beaten the high scores. And I'm going to do the new game plus in a pacifist run. See how that goes. Nice glowing appraisal there. It's it's one I'm definitely interested in. I just haven't got time for it at the moment. I've got too many big games on the go at once, uh, which is a bit of a struggle. I've picked the wrong possible time to start doing that. Um. Okay. One other thing I played while I was off was Bastion. Finally, uh, it's been one I've been meaning to play for years. Uh, just never got to it. Uh. And I sort of played through it in one sitting while under painkillers. So it's <laughs> my recollection of it is a little hazy. But it's a, an interesting little top-down RPG. Uh, and the I guess the USP about it is uh, that there's a narrator that talks you through everything you're doing, which is a, a, a really neat way to explain the world and what's happening with exposition as you're progressing through through these different areas uh they give you a lot of uh really neat like weapons to play with that really change up your play style and you sort of end up sticking with one uh there's lots of progression systems that uh sort of let you power up what you're doing and it's all done through this like base i forget the name of it now uh but i i really enjoyed how it unfolded as well in the story with that narration they sort of drip feed you all the facts about the world and then they make you like pick an ending basically they give you a choice right at the end uh and like i found it a tough choice even though the choice just meant that i got to look at a different picture <laughs> while the credits rolled uh but the the other thing that i wanted to mention was the music which is just utterly brilliant. I'm really considering buying the soundtrack on iTunes because it's just, it's got like a, a really rhythmic pumping sort of vibe to it that just sort of encourages you to keep wailing away at the world's enemies. It's really cool. Uh, I believe you've both played this before. Yeah, I've played this before, not on um, the Switch, but on the PC. Uh, and the new Game Plus version makes um, that choice at the end, gives a little more context to the choice at the end. Okay. So you should check that out if um, you've got the time. Um, but yeah, I know I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy the things that you specifically were talking about um, in terms of just the soundtrack, which is A, amazing, and also B, what I use the soundtrack, my D&D campaign. So <laughs> it is good. <laughs> Ten thumbs up. Um and and I do think that out of all the super giant games, Bastion is going to be one of my favorites alongside Transistor because they both 
operate, I think, in the very same way. The the music is not just the 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 background, the accompaniment, the the sort of overarching narrator and music combination. I find that sort of storytelling very very compelling. As someone with who hasn't got the biggest or I should say longest attention span, it keeps you really locked in because you're actually actively getting feedback about your actions. So I find that contrast really interesting, and I really enjoy those two games because of it. So. If you like, I mean, I'm glad that you like Bastion too, because it is one of my faves. And I think that if people haven't played it yet, um, does it handle fine on the Switch control-wise? It should do. It wasn't very complicated. Yeah, perfectly. Uh, worked really, made sense on a controller. I think I can't imagine playing it with anything else. Yeah, well, um, then there you go. Yeah, if you haven't played it, I think I would personally recommend it. It feels like Andy would as well, that you should get it on the Switch. I played it on Steam. Uh, I remember... The soundtrack was really good, uh, but the story, I thought, was really predictable, and I really don't remember much about playing the game, so <laughs> uh, uh, I, I thought it was fine, I guess. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm largely indifferent towards it. The, the, the narrator thing I found really cool, there was a part where as soon as I realized that a lot of the environment was destructible, I was just sort of wailing on everything in case it gave me any advantage, you know, like yeah. secret weapons or something. And uh, the, the narrator just sort of goes, the kid stopped, got angry and just smashed everything up for a while. And <laughs> it's just like the way it sort of played uh, and joked with my actions in game was really cool. Uh, I'm definitely interested in checking out Transistor, which is out next month, I think. Early next yeah. month. Have you not played it before? You haven't. No, I've not played oh. any of Supergiant's games before. So. Oh, Andy. <laughs> and I imagine we'll see their uh, other game. What's their third game called? Pyre. The Wizard Bas- yeah, that's it. The Wizard Basketball Simulator. Yeah, the Wizard yeah. Basketball Simulator. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to trying that when it eventually comes to Switch, no doubt. Okay, so the last thing we have to talk about is... Armello, which is Ooh. sort of a D&D RNG board gamey thing, right? Kind of. Um so I mechanically anyway, there's RNG, so a lot of dice rolling. Um there's the use of cards, um kind of like boons and stuff in Hand of Fate and there's some sort of tile-based strategy element to it as well. Um, that's just mechanically. As to how that all kind of comes together, you basically are part of a kingdom of animals, um, and there's different animal tribes, and it's ruled over by a lion. Obviously, metaphor, symbolism abounds, but irrelevant. Um, your job as one of these other animals is to actually make sure that this ruler, um, that, that your clan, I guess, secedes to the throne after this ruler passes away. So it's kind of like a race against time, which has elements of court intrigue. So you do things like play the favor of the king and other tribes, um, showed up martial prowess, where you can challenge other animals for superiority and also other victories that kind of involve playing around one of the game's central mechanics, which is um, almost like a living counting timer. So the king will die um, in X amount of days, and basically you need to make sure that you're in the best position to gain the throne before then. That doesn't really mean killing everyone else. It might mean something like having the most power or influence, or having the most number of X amount of sacred resources, or actually curing the king, for example. So there are multiple ways to win this game, but I would really see it as 
um, probably the closest iteration of the Red Wall books that I used to read as a kid with all these different kind of animals teaming up or I was, you know, sabotaging each other to in like a medieval setting. So um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I have found multiplayer fine. Um, haven't experienced any crazy toxicity <laughs> or anything, but then again, I guess people that are playing animal t- animal card game are not really people that would be yelling at other people over voice chat playing, you know, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 or something. So that's good. Um, but I, I think that the one gripe for me in this game, I mean, they're very, very distinct characters. Like you get sort of like the... They're a little bit tropey. You get the very sneaky weasels. You get the very diplomatic rabbits. You get the very martially orientated wolves and bears, and um, some really strange sort of D and D hybrid homebrew classes thrown in there as well. Um, but the characters are very distinct, um, but not to the point whereby you feel you can only win with a certain kind of strategy per character. Like you might have a a, wiz- a weasel character more suited to subterfuge, but you can win through a more traditional prestige victory or a martial victory. Like the game doesn't pigeon you a whole pigeonhole you into a kind of victory. But um, one thing I would say though is that there is almost too few, very 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 clear paths to victory. Like some methods are just going to be straight up more direct to get to than others. And it can kind of feel less like you're playing your own game for your clan and more like, okay, I'm going to win with X method and I'll just obliterate everybody else to win by their X method. So that was my one gripe. But then again, I played a little, I played a lot of this game. I played it on the PC previously for ages and ages and ages and I played it again. So that might just be me speaking from experience as someone who knows the game's mechanics really well. Like I don't think a new player would want to game it as much as I have. So I think it's really fun. It's really one of a kind. I haven't really played a game like Armello um, or played a game with characters like the ones in Armello. And there's a lot of emergent sort of environmental storytelling about the different characters that you pick and you learn a lot about the game that you're playing in just through playing. So if you like medieval animal-based fiction, um, you've read the Red War books and you don't mind a game that's got RNG, then I highly recommend this. It is not super pricey, I don't think, and it's a lot of fun to play with your mates or even just by yourself. There's a lot to do. Um, and the Switch store has, I believe, all the DLC available that the PC one didn't have on launch, which means more characters, more ways to play, and just more chances to have a good time. So yeah, I highly recommend this game if you're interested in this kind of stuff. Well, as another person who also spent uh, most of his childhood, well... Let me be very specific about the years here. From age 5 to age 12, I was reading the Redwall books pretty much on repeat. Uh, <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, I basically owned the Mossflower audio tape from our local library because as soon as it was due back, I would just go check it out again. Uh, so I'm a pretty big fan of the setting this game takes place in. Uh, and I, I didn't get the game because there was something else out that week that I think I'd pre-ordered, so I just, I couldn't afford to get Armello that week, but it's definitely something I'll be picking up, and actually, from Ginny's description, it's not the game I thought it was. I thought it was a, like, a turn-based strategy combat game, so I'm I kind of excited to hear that there's so many different ways to to win. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to playing this when I have a chance to do so.
Okay, folks, so what are we playing in the coming week? Um, I will be playing a game called Sinner, Sacrifice for Redemption. Um, so it's a Souls-like. Um, it is a very good Souls-like from what I've tried at PAX Australia last year. Um, so if you're a Souls fan, I think I would probably, from what I've played already, recommend it. It looks really cool. It's also a game out of China. People were calling it the Dark Souls ripoff, except people that actually worked on it have worked on the Souls games previously. So, I mean, it's it's conceptually very different, um, and I'm really looking forward to sinking my teeth into it properly. Yeah. Uh, Ubisoft has a new Star Fox game coming out, amazingly enough. <laughs> so that's what I'm playing next week. <laughs> no, it's uh, Starlink Battle for Atlas, which is coming out on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One as well as on Switch, but you wouldn't know that from people talking about it. All people want to talk about is the Switch version with Fox in it, and who can blame them? That's what I'm playing next week. Uh, I'll be picking that up. Uh, I haven't got time at the moment for a, uh, an Ubisoft game, which I imagine it will follow all those sorts of rhythms. Oh. I've been watching videos. It's definitely an Ubisoft sandbox game. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, but I will be playing on with uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4. I think I'll try and get some more time put into that. Hopefully see some of this, uh, the other stuff the story has to offer that uh, Ginny has already experienced and, and alluded to already. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thanks in advance. And if you want to follow us individually on Twitter, you can do so. I'm at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. Uh, he also streams pretty much all of the games that he talks about on the show at twitch.tv forward slash Play Critically. And Ginny is at Ginny Woes.
Ready? Go! Go! 